We celebrate that you make us into a new creation. When you come in to our lives, your blood washes away our sins. We're made new, different. Help us because we still find ourselves falling back into old patterns sometimes. And the old man of sin has a way of influencing us that we we know you don't appreciate. We don't either. So help us to be the people that you created us to be, that you desire us to be, that you died for us to be. A people who are forgiven, who live in grace, and who show grace. Thank you for all you do for us, Jesus. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Well, before I begin this new series and the sermon this morning, I have to first give a shout out to an old friend. Tom Ellsworth is now no longer there, but he was the minister at Sherwood Oaks for years. He filled in over at Nashville Christian. And Tom, as a friend of mine, I've known Tom, he wrote a book called Inverted. And and I referenced that because I'm going to use two of Tom's stories today. So the Bible says, give credit to whom credit is due. So I want to make sure that you know about what Tom did. In his book, he looked at stories that Jesus told and, and This series that we're going to go into for the next four weeks is called Jesus Stories, not stories about Jesus. I'm not talking about the woman at the well or the woman caught in adultery. I'm talking about stories Jesus told. Jesus was a masterful storyteller. He was able to to, to tell stories that really caught hold of people when they heard them. In fact, he, he shared over 30 unique stories uh, that Jesus told. Like these were stories literally from heaven. Things that came from the throne room of heaven. Jesus was telling us stories about life. Think about some of these stories. You know some of these. The the prodigal son. Incredible story Jesus told, right? We we marvel at that story. Or the, the, the good shepherd who went after the lost sheep and left 99 behind. It's a story, remember, the shepherd going after a sheep. Jesus told another story that that I know you know, the Good Samaritan. It's a story that captured our imagination. It left us thinking about a lot of things, but, but thinking in particularly about the nature of God and the nature of God's love for us. Well, <laughs> this week when we were in our staff meeting, we were talking about what was going to go on. I don't know if you've ever had this happen, but you know, in staff meetings, sometimes there is a little bit of grumbling and complaining that happens, not about anything big, but you know, maybe we just all got on the wrong side of the bed. There's a little bit of grumpiness, right? And, and, and that happens in every place and everything. That's not a, 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 a bad thing or a sinful thing. It just happens. So there was a little bit of grumbling in the office this week that happened. And so I, I want to say, first of all, the sermon you're about to hear is not directed at our church staff, even though that's what they accuse me of, because the name of this sermon is The Parable of the Whiny Workers. <laughs> but it has nothing to do with our, our church staff. Also, I want you to know this. Long before there was ever an announcement about a strike or anything else that was going to happen in our country, I had already picked the sermon. So it's not a political statement about things happening in our country right now. That is not why I picked this sermon. I wanted to tell Jesus stories, and this happened to be the first one, because it's a story that actually always kind of left me thinking, man, I'm not sure how I feel about that. And those are sometimes the stories that we have the weirdest thoughts about that Jesus, those are probably the ones we should probably dive into a little bit more. You say, well, what is it about that story that bugs me? Or what is it about that story that, that I need to think about some more? And so I want us to think, take a look at the story, and I want us to think about Jesus' story, the parable of the whiny workers. And, uh, and let's kind of dive into this and see what happens. If you have your Bibles, turn to Matthew chapter 20. And let's just take a look at this story. 
It's a very interesting story. And as we look at it, there are some things that we probably should, should think about up front. For one thing, when Jesus told a story, Jesus usually said there, there are some things in the story that you should take note of, right? Whenever he told any of his stories, whether to his disciples or to the Pharisees or to the people who were gathered around, his stories always made us think something about God. What is Jesus trying to teach us about God? It's in every one of his stories. What is Jesus saying about, about us or about me? And what is he saying about the world around me? In his stories, he always talks about those three things in some fashion. So as you hear this story today, you'll have to ask yourself, where do I feel like I am in the story? Like, am I even in this story? And if so, which character am I most like in the story Jesus tells? Also, as you look at it, what's this story trying to tell us about God? And what's this story tell us about the world that we live in? Those are good questions to ask of this text as we get into it. There's one more thing that you need to know about this story before we even go any further, because it has a lot to do with time and how long people work. You need to know something about the ancient world, the world that Jesus was telling these stories in almost 2,000 years ago. Unlike today, where we have a 40-hour work week that is normative, in the world of that day, uh, they worked six 12-hour days. They had a 72-hour work week. And their day started at 6 a.m., and it finished at 6 p.m. That's a pretty daunting workload uh, for people, and that was the common day. And since this story has a lot to do with that kind of a day, it's good for us to know that they were expecting a 12-hour day. Well, let's dive into the story, and we'll see where this all goes. The kingdom of heaven, so Jesus is telling a story that's, that's telling us about what God's realm is like. It's like a landowner. Keep track of that. It's like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire workers for his vineyard. So he's a vineyard owner, and he gets up early. So when it says early, since the day starts at 6, he has to transport these workers or get these workers to his vineyard if they have to walk. So he's probably out there at about 4.30, 5 o'clock in the morning at a place where a lot of people are standing hoping to get work. In that culture where lots of people, most people didn't have a job that they could count on every week, they would have to hire themselves out to people who needed help with whatever project, and they'd go do those jobs. Usually it had to do with agriculture. So it was a common practice. And if you wanted to go out and work, that's what you did. You went out early to the, to the assigned areas, and the farmers would come, and they'd say, hey, do you want to work for me today? And then you could negotiate what your wage might be, and you could go out and work. This landowner gets up early. Early, early. 4.30, he's out there. He's trying to get people for his vineyard that day. And so it says that he does that. He goes out early in the morning to hire workers. And then there's an interesting thing in verse 2. It says, he agreed to pay them. So this implies there was a negotiation, right? So the workers that are there early in the morning, they're planning out their day, and they negotiate a little bit about what the pay is going to be. And it says he agreed to pay them a denarius. Now, by today's scale, that's about $80, all right? It'd be about the equivalent of an $80 day. Uh, for him and their time, that was considered about the best kind of a wage, a denarius a day was about the best kind of wage that you could expect to get for doing this kind of work, picking grapes. This would have been as good as you could hope for. So this landowner, 
had given them the top wage for grape picking. I want you to get that about him. He gave the best wage, and they agreed to it, right? This was a negotiation, and it was early in the morning, and so they, they're the earliest to arrive, and so they're like, hey, let's do this thing. Just keep it in our mind. It was an agreed-upon amount of money. Now, as soon as that happens, he sends them into his vineyard. So he hires them. They agree to the pay for the day. One denarius, a, a silver coin, <laughs> that'll be their pay. <coughs> but, but as they're out there working... <clears throat> At about 9 o'clock, all right, so three hours of the workday has gone by. 25% of the day is spent. It's clear the harvest is not going to get brought in unless he goes out and he gets some more workers. So at about 9 o'clock in the morning, he goes out and he sees others that are standing in the marketplace and they're not doing anything. No one's hired them. They're still standing there. So he told them, he said, you also go and work in my, my, my vineyard. Now, he doesn't agree to a, there's no negotiation now, and the people who are waiting can't really, they don't have much leverage here, like the best workers, the hardest workers, the people that, they've already gotten hired. So now it's like 9 o'clock, so like this is like Jim, the guy that was, uh, you know, he overslept that morning, his wife's like, hey, we got bills to pay, you got to go to work today, Jim, and, and so Jim's kind of made his way down there a little late, sleepy-eyed, he's hoping for some kind of work for the day, uh, but he knows he's not going to get full day's pay because he's, he's late getting there. So the expectation is just for something good, and that's what the landowner promises him. He says, I will pay you whatever is right. That's what I'm going to pay you. So those guys, they got up, and gals, they got up and they went to the vineyard. They started working, 9 o'clock, picking grapes. Then noon comes. The day's halfway over. And the Vineyard owner realizes we are nowhere near, we we don't have nowhere near enough workers. We are not going to be able to bring this harvest in unless I get some more help. So he goes back out at noon, half day, right? These are half day. So you have to really wonder who is out there at the half day point, right? What kind of workers they have? No one's hired them yet, right? So who's out there at the half day point? Well, probably, like this might be the guy who like he spent his last denarius having the big breakfast that morning. But now he's like, man, I don't have any money for lunch or supper. So I'll go work a half day and I'll have some money for tomorrow. That's kind of what they do. They show up. They're the half day workers. They, 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 I mean, they didn't get there early at all. They got a good night's sleep and they, they didn't take time too much in the morning. I mean, they didn't have the prices right to watch. So I don't know what they were doing, but, but they, they didn't do it. But they get there at noon and luckily someone says, hey, I'll, I'll hire you. Going to work half a day. Then it says he went out about 3 o'clock in the afternoon because he still knew he needed more workers. Now, you really have to start asking yourself, like, who is left at 3 o'clock? All right, this is probably like the guy that no one wants to hire, right? This is getting down there to the bottom of the barrel. I mean, I don't know how many felonies the guy has or whatever, but you're kind of leery about hiring this fellow. But the vineyard owner says, hey, I need you. 3 o'clock. All you got to do is work three hours. Three hours, and they go to the vineyard, always promising the same thing. I'll pay you whatever is right. Now, about five in the afternoon, there's one hour left in the workday. About five in the afternoon, he went out, and he found still others standing around. 
Now, now you, you, this has to almost be like people who are like, hey, this guy just keeps coming and getting workers, and someone's called a friend or whatever, right? They're just there at the end of the day. Like, who, who are these people? I have no idea, right? He sees people, they might, have even, they might have even been trying to work. They may have been vagrants or loiterers. We don't even know who these people were. They're just standing around. Like, they, they, they're probably not even there for a job. They just happen to be there. And uh, he says he sees them standing around, but he says to them, why have you been standing here all day? He kind of calls them out, like, what's with you? Like, all day long, people were looking for workers, and you just stand around. Hey, yeah, I'm good. <laughs> and they say to him, well, no one's hired us. Probably not. <laughs> probably for good reason, because you probably have a tendency to stand around wherever you go. But, but listen to what the landowner says. They say, no one's hired us. Now, there's only one hour left in the workday. Only one hour left. But he said to them, you also go and work in my vineyard. Now that, so far in this story, like, we really admire the landowner. I mean, you talk about someone who's trying to employ his community. He is doing everything he can to put people to work, right? And that's a value we can get on board with. So we like this landowner. And he's trying to, he's promised to pay what's right. He he seems like he's going to be good with what he does. Everything about it so far we like. But this is a story I told you that has given me pause, and it may give you pause too when you hear the second half. This is the kind of thing Jesus frequently did in his stories. right? He would tell a story, and as he told the story, there would be this plot twist, this moment that kind of turns things on its head, and we were like, wow, I didn't see that coming, or I didn't expect that. That happens in this story. Now remember, who this story is about, the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner. The landowner is about to speak. Here's what he says. Verse 5. When evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, call the workers and pay them their wages. And Here's the flip. Beginning with the last ones hired, and going on to the first. This is the first thing Jesus does. He upends what we normally would think of as seniority, right? The people who have worked the longest should probably get the best benefit, and so, or at least give the first crack at it, but that's not what happens in the story. The first people he's going to pay are those people who were like standing around, had only worked for one hour, and to make sure that they can get back to standing around again, he's going to pay them first. And that has to kind of, that, that's the first part, like, we're kind of like, well, that doesn't really kind of seem fair. Like, that doesn't seem like the way it should be. He's going to pay them first. He broke protocol by letting the last ones hired be the first to get paid. Even if wages didn't come into this story, and wages will, you might be annoyed if you were the guy who'd been working hard all day and you just wanted to go home. And to see some Johnny come lately getting paid before you might have just set you on the edge just a little bit. So, the workers who were hired about five in the afternoon came, and they were each paid a denarius. A denarius was the best wage you could hope for in a day, and they got paid a denarius for one hour of work. They got paid a denarius for one hour of work. They were an 11th hour hire. 
hired at the 11th hour, but they got a 12-hour paycheck. That's a good day. I mean, that is a gracious day. And for them, like, I have to imagine that since they were prone to standing around at 5 o'clock and they didn't usually get hired, that this is probably more money than they usually ever had in their pockets. Like, they were pretty excited to have a silver denarius, a tenth of an ounce of silver in their pocket. That was pretty awesome. I love that about this landowner. He is really good to the 11th hour people. Now, when they, when they saw that, it says, so he hired them, he came and received them. So then those who came, who were hired first, watched what was happening, right? And each person's receiving a denarius. The people who worked 11 hour, one hour, people who worked four hours, six hours, nine hours, they all got a denarius. So it says, when those who came who were hired first, they expected to receive more. But each one of them also received a denarius, a day's pay. When they received it, they began to grumble against the landowner. Those who were hired last worked only one hour, and they said, you have made them equal to us, who have borne the burden of the work and the heat of the day. Wow. Isn't that interesting? Think about this. The only people who had no right to complain, the only people who negotiated their rate, it was these guys. They negotiated what they'd get paid. They have no right to complain. Like, they got exactly what they asked for. They got exactly what they agreed to. But who's doing the complaining? They are. Now, we would complain, too. I get it. Like, we would not like how this played out had it happened to us. I told you it's a story that bugs me in some ways. Because it doesn't seem very fair. Like, they did work all day. And they just got paid the same as the Johnny-come-lately worked an hour. And it doesn't seem fair, especially to us as American citizens. That just doesn't seem right. If you work harder, you should get more. That's, our, that's in our DNA. But that's not how this story went at all. Now, you've got to ask yourself who was listening to the story. And we're not quite done with it yet. The disciples had been with Jesus. And before this, they'd just been around the rich young ruler the young man who had lots of wealth. And Jesus had invited them to become a disciple, but the rich young ruler went away sad when Jesus said, sell everything you have and follow me. And he left. I have to imagine the other disciples, who most of them had worked as fishermen, or they had had jobs that were physical labor jobs, they were probably impressed with a man who was so young and so wealthy, because that was not the norm of their society. He was an impressive individual, but he loved his money more than he loved Jesus, and he went away sad. Peter, after that event happened, he said to Jesus, we left everything for you. And uh, there's an important, an important moment between Jesus and his disciples. Well, then we get to this story that comes not long after that moment. And Jesus is talking a lot about the first and the last, and Jesus is probably just with his disciples, and so you know who probably feels the most like the full-day workers? They do. This is like a story for his disciples. Like, they're the all-day workers. They've been with him from the beginning. 
And uh, Jesus is telling them now, <laughs> he's kind of preparing them, and he's like, there's going to be other people that come on board, and they're going to get the same reward you got. Get ready for that. He's kind of preparing them for things to come. Well, let's see how the story ends, and we're going to go back and look at some key points. Here's what happens. Jesus answers the people for their complaining. He says, am I not being, he says, I am not being unfair to you, friend. You agreed to work for denarius. Take your pay and go. I want to give the one, if I want to give the one who has only worked an hour the same as I gave you, don't I have the right to do what I want with my own money? Or are you envious because I'm generous? And here's a key line. So the last will be first, and the first will be last. Let's take a look at some of those people for a second. Let's go back to the 11th hour people. You know, the Bible has a lot of stories about God reaching people in the 11th hour, at the last moment, when everything seems to be lost. God comes through in a big way. Like, for an example, think about Zacharias and his wife Elizabeth, who are childless, and he's an old man. The Bible says that their bodies had waxed and waned. They, their, their bodies were, they were old. They were over their time. And, and, and he goes in that day to do his service at the temple. The angel meets Zacharias, says, you're going to have a child. All those things happen. It's mind-boggling to him. He goes home and tells his wife, Elizabeth, who's an old woman, hey, we're going to have a baby. And she had to laugh at him. You know, it had to be crazy. Well, he didn't really say it because he, he was having trouble talking, so he had to write it down on a, a, a chalkboard, probably. Again, I'm sure she laughed when she saw what he wrote on the chalkboard. You would laugh, too. If your husband said that to you, like, right, how much have you been drinking before you got home today? 11th hour. No way she's going to have a baby, but she does. And what a baby. Jesus said that John, their son, was the greatest of men to have lived. 11th hour. Seemed impossible. Deliverance comes. One of my other favorite stories from the Old Testament is of King Hezekiah. The nation of Judah is about to be overrun by Sennacherib, the king of Assyria. He brings a huge army in to wipe them out. There is no hope. There were 32 fortified cities, and, and Sennacherib has wiped out 31. Only one left, Jerusalem. He knows he's going to die. He knows that tomorrow the invasion will happen, and he, as the king, is powerless to stop it. Hezekiah knows he is about to lose. But he does the most incredible thing. He takes the threat, and the problem before the Lord. And it says he laid it out before the Lord. He lays everything out before the Lord. And he says, God, I mean, it doesn't, you can't get any more 11th hour than that. And he says, this is impossible. There's no way I can win. I can't win with an army. We can't win through negotiations. We don't have enough money to buy them off. We're, we're done. It's over. Unless you do something, God. It's the 11th hour. But I want you to hear this. God is the God of the 11th hour. And he can step in when it seems like all hope is lost. And he can do so much more than we could ever ask or imagine. Of course, for, for King Hezekiah, it's the most bizarre story of the Old Testament. Because what happens is they wake up and the enemy is just, they're all dead. <laughs> That's just what happens. This huge army is just obliterated. They didn't go fight the fight. God in the night slew their adversary, and they're just gone. Impossible. An 11th hour miracle. 
the people were saved. God is the God of the 11th hour. This is a story not about the quality of their work. Nothing in the story tells us how hard or how well the people did their jobs. This is not a story, even though it's about workers that worked, it's really not a story about them. It doesn't tell us much about the character of them except that the first people complain. It's really not a story about vineyards and grapes, the quality of what they were harvesting. It's a story about the landowner. It's a story about how God deals with us. When I served at Reddington Christian Church, there was a, an elderly couple that came uh, to the point after hearing Brother Bill speak that they wanted to, to, uh, to come to Christ. And when I say elderly, I'm not picking anybody here, but they were over that 75-plus range, and wear it as a badge of honor if you make it to that point, okay? They were there. Now, what was unique to me about this couple is that he was the skinniest little man I've ever seen in my life. And she was the opposite of that, okay? We'll just go with that. And in fact, she was large enough that Brother Bill wasn't going to be able to baptize her or get her up in the baptistry and down by himself. He needed help, and so I lifted her in a wheelchair up and down in the baptistry. It was quite an ordeal. Don't have time to tell you about all of that. But we got her baptized. We got him baptized. And I'll never forget this, right? 75-plus years old. He comes up out of the water, and man, the most overwhelming feeling just hits him of forgiveness. And he begins to just share from his heart, why did I wait so long? This is the best thing I've ever done. Eleventh hour. Eleventh hour. But he came to faith and she came to faith. I was told that that was a couple that they had a tendency to be real snippy with each other. But I was told after the fact, after they came to Jesus... They were heard laughing together more than once. Probably about the spectacle of the day they got baptized. It's kind of neat. Thank goodness the landowner we have can still bless us with the full blessing even at the 11th hour. Let's take a look at someone else in the story. It's the people that we probably relate to the most. The people that were hired first. I told you my friend Tom had written a couple of stories, and I want to share one of them with you now. One of these he included in his book. It speaks to the, the nature of the 11th hour person who felt like they didn't have enough. I, I got what I had asked for, but it's not enough. I, I want more than that. And this is something we all have to guard against, right? Because when it comes to things and to money and possessions, there is a part of us that always wants something else. Another shiny toy or something a little bit more. A famous, Mr. Rockefeller, one of the famous rich people of our country, was once asked how much money is enough, and he was alleged to have said, just a little bit more is enough. Well, that's kind of how we are, this idea that we always want more. Tom pointed me to a story I want to share with you. It's, it's written by the novelist Tolstoy, but he tells a story, and his story was called, How Much Land Does a Man Need? In Tolstoy's famous story, there's a young farmer whose name is Paham. And Paham one day overhears his wife defending their meager rural lifestyle. She's talking to her city who was wealthy, or talking to his sister who lived in the city who was well off and, and very rich. And, 
And Paham winced with guilt that he wasn't providing better for his wife and for his family. So he thought to himself, the young man thought, if I had plenty of land, I wouldn't fear even the devil himself if I just had more land. And so Pahom set off with all of his energy and might to increase his lands, to increase his wealth. And as he worked hard and he acquired first one small plot of land and a few more acres and a few more, finally a whole farm, he found something stirring in him that no matter how much he had, he always wanted more. Eventually, he learned from a traveling salesman that there were vast swaths of tillable ground that was available for cheap in a land, the land of the Bashkirs. And Paham thought, I'm going to have to go there and buy land, cheap land, lots of land. And so he went to the land of Bashkirs, and when he got to their territory, he inquired of their chief how he might purchase a farm. And the chief of the Bashkirs told him, he said, well, here, the way that we sell ground is that you pay 1,000 rubles, and once you've paid your money, you begin to walk in a big circle from the starting point where we take the money. And as big a circle as you can walk and get back to before the sun sets, everywhere your foot is set, that land will be yours. And he thought, this is fantastic. <laughs> well worth a thousand rubles. And so early the next morning, it was agreed upon, he would start at sunrise and he would pay the money and he would walk for the entire day and take as much land as he could. The only contingent was if you didn't make it back to the starting point, if you didn't make it back, you lost a thousand rubles and you didn't get any of the land. Baham thought, I'm young, I can do it. He was going to make this circle large. And so he took off, beginning to, to walk this huge, this huge path around the circumference of a large circle. And as he did, he was making it a point to go as far and wide as he could. He wanted as much land as possible. But as he was moving along across the prairie, he found himself by about midday feeling kind of tired. It concerned him. Because he thought, I'm halfway through and I have to get back to the, the starting point or I'll not be able to take the land and I'll lose my money. So he didn't take as wide an arch. He still, he still was taking a, a, an edge, but he was trying to start making his way back to the starting point. And Baham was picking up his pace because he was concerned he wasn't going to make it back. And, and so he was going a little faster and walking a little harder. And he, he got to that point where he feel like, felt like he had maybe three more hours to go and he knew he was still a long way, so now he makes a straight line. He's got to get back to the starting point. He begins to make his way back towards where he began. And he realizes time is, is, is going faster, and he's wanting to go slower, so he pushes himself harder than he's... He, now he's not just walking fast, he's trying to run. And, and he's got a long way to go, and he's been going hard all day. And he sees that the sun is getting closer to the setting point. And so... He begins to run harder than he's ever run in his entire life. He's desperate to get back to the beginning. His body aches, his heart is pounding, but he has to get back to where he started because he has to finish what he started. He has to have a little bit more. And finally, as the last rays of the sun are about to set, he sees the starting point. And the people, the Bashkirs, are cheering for him, run, run, run. 
And he runs, he gives his last effort, and he collapses as the sun sets where he started. But Tolstoy said, when he collapsed, he died. And all that Pahom got was a six-foot plot where he was buried. That's an interesting story, the kind we might expect to come from Russia, I guess. But it gives a question that we have to wrestle with. The question is, how much is enough? When Jesus told the story, he wants the disciples to get this. I am enough. I am enough. You don't need anything else. I'm enough. It's an interesting story, but it has ramifications for us. Tom tells the story that he was born and raised in the church. I knew him when he was a dean at Hilltop Camp when he was over in Bloomington. A lot of you have worked with him as helpers through the years, I know. He says there was never anyone who was... Uh, had, had more uh, been a, in the family of faith from birth, raised in Sunday school on the cradle roll, a part of the church his whole life, went into ministry, served the Lord his entire life, from beginning to end, a person from the household of faith. That's Tom's life. He said that <clears throat> God illustrated something to him, that he was a lot like those first higher people by something that happened when he was ministering at Sherwood Oaks. There was a person, I'm not going to name his name, but we're going to call him Old Jack. Old Jack was a farmer. He was uh, getting older. He had some health problems. Jack's wife went to church, but he didn't. And his wife was concerned about her husband's soul, so she asked Tom to go talk to Old Jack. And when he did, <clears throat> Old Jack uh, said, well, let me tell you why. I, uh, I'm not a Christian. He said it wouldn't be fair. It wouldn't be fair. He said, when I was a young man, Tom, I was in a church, and I watched as several of my friends gave their life to Jesus. They were baptized, and they said, I want to follow the Lord. And he said, I was a young man, and I thought to myself, I got plenty of time for that. I don't need Jesus telling me what to do. I want to do my own thing. And he said, Tom... That's what I did. He said, I've lived my whole life that way. He said, I know what I should have done, but I didn't do those things. I did what I wanted. And he said, some of the things I did, well, I'm not very proud of them now. I'm ashamed of them, but I did them. He said, so Tom, how can I possibly go to God now? How can I possibly go to him now and say, hey, forgive me for my sins, even though I knew I'd done the wrong thing? Tom said, Jack, let me tell you a story about a man who owned a vineyard and he hired people in the morning and at 9 o'clock and at noon and at 3 o'clock and at 5 o'clock. And Tom said that after they talked about it, old Jack saw himself as an 11th hour worker and he accepted Jesus as his Lord and Savior. 
Now, the end of Jack's story is cautionary. Just a couple days later, he went in for what was considered a routine surgery. No big deal. But there's no such thing as routine. And Jack passed away. Tom said that when he did Jack's funeral, he told the story again. And he said something that really stuck with me. He said, never in my life have I wished more that I had two silver denarius coins. He said, if I had them, I would have put one into the hand of old Jack in his casket. You receive your reward in full. And I'd put one in my pocket to remind me that even though one of us has been faithful from birth and the other was only faithful for two days, we still have our reward because Jesus is enough. And he is enough. I want to think about one last thing. In truth, if the 11th hour worker is the most desperate, then hear this, every single one of us, even if we were raised in the church, we're still an 11th hour worker because the wage of sin, the wage we deserve, it's not a denarius. The wage of sin is death. But in Jesus Christ, we have life. So we come today as that. So I recognize as those hearing this sermon today, you might think, okay, well, what, what does this say to me? If you're not a Christian, it says, make this the day. Be faithful. Do what you need to do. Get right with Jesus. And if you are a Christian, it probably changes the way that we look at those who are around us. Because we need to see them the way that Jesus does. And yeah, there are some people that they have been putting off something they do for a long time. We can even get hard-hearted towards them. Or we can have the heart of Jesus and keep reaching out. He went back over and over and over to bring as many as he could. And that should be our heart as well. Whatever decision you need to make this morning, would you make it as we stand and we sing our hymn of invitation? (laughs) 